Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Keep your money local. Bring it home to a Wintrust Community Bank, home of White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Find out more at wintrust.com slash Sox. Members FDIC. White Sox, White Sox. Got a chance to do something real special. All right, sit back, relax, and strap it down. It's time for the White Sox Talk Podcast. Hey, everyone, you're listening to the White Sox Talk Podcast brought to you by Wintrust. Chuck Arfine here and the MLB Draft. Begins on Monday, June the 3rd, and we got a guy, one of our favorite guests on the podcast to talk about it. It is Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline, MLB.com, MLB Network. He is all things prospects, MLB draft, and uh, you're gonna we're going to look into the crystal ball. Jim, thanks for being here. You, you've looked into the future. Uh, before we get into who the White Sox might take, is this a good year to have the third overall pick like the White Sox do? Yeah, it is. I mean, most teams feel like there's a clear top three or four players. Um, you know, I think if you're picking seven to ten, you know, it would be a little bit more difficult. But, you know, the White Sox still have to narrow down who exactly they're going to pick. But the pool candidates is pretty strong. Back in May, you had said, we predicted that C.J. Abrams might be the pick. He's the shortstop out of Georgia, high schooler. Now you're going Andrew Vaughn. So what's your thinking right now with the White Sox and that number one pick? Well, I don't think they've made a decision yet. So I think that's still up in the air. Like, and you know, I still think Oregon State catcher Adley Rutschman's going to go number one. I still think Texas high school shortstop Bobby Wood Jr. is going to go number two. Um, I, you know, I just it, that's more based on. There's a little talk that C.J. Abrams might be sliding a little bit. Um, and so I went Andrew Vaughn. I mean, I actually feel that's one. I'm not sure they really narrowed it down to just two guys. But if it was two guys, like, I might be feeling like 52% Vaughn, 48% Abrams type of thing. <laughs> so it's not like it's a lock. I just There's a little chatter in general that Abrams is sliding. And so if he's sliding, then theoretically he wouldn't go number three. So we went with Andrew Vaughn uh, with, for my last mock that came out last night. Vaughn seems like there's no safe pick. It seems like a safer pick only because there's more of a career that you can look at. He's a college bat and one of the best in baseball. Would that, in your mind, be the safer way to go? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you can draft. Excuse me for a second. <coughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm worn down by, by, the, by the draft and travel. Um, <laughs> the old of Colt. You can't go safe at three. You got to pick the best guy. If you try to hit the ball lay up and hit the ball in the middle of the fairway, you know you're not going to get like very good players. And the White Sox need good players. Um, 
I, yes, I mean, I think you obviously have a lot more track record than Andrew Vaughn. I mean, he's, you know, A, put up statistical profile in California, but, but also, I mean, if you're just grading these guys out, I mean, he is the best hitter in this draft. I mean, there's a guy in this draft who's going to hit 300 with 30 home runs every year. Your, your best bet's Andrew Vaughn. So, yeah, I like, you're, you know, you know, the weighing those two guys against each other with Vaughn, that's what you're getting here, but you're just getting the bat. You know, he's, yeah, he's taking some ground balls at third. You know, maybe somebody tries him third, but you're probably getting a first base only guy, but a really good bat. Whereas Abrams has a chance to, he's a high school shortstop from Georgia, he has a chance to hit for average. Um, you know, he's not going to 30 home runs, so he's got some sneaky pop. Um, he can really, really run. Uh, very fast runner. And, you know, he's either a shortstop or a center fielder, so he's an up the middle guy. So, so entirely different types of players. Um, it's just kind of a matter of, of which one the White Sox are going to prefer in the end. And this is just so interesting to me because they haven't come up with a consensus yet. This is what Nick Hofstetler said on uh, Thursday. And you can see why. I mean, these are completely different kind of players, everything from Abrams to Vaughn, if Witt slides down. Or do you think it's really between Vaughn and Abrams? Well, I don't really think Rutschman and Witt are going to get past one and two. You know, if they did, I think – I mean, those are two best players in the draft. So if they do, I think the White Sox would just say thank you very much and pick one of them. Um, you know, I, I think it's possible they could look at J.J. Blade, who's an outfielder from Vanderbilt. I haven't heard his name as much there, uh, you know, as I have it. You know, I, I think he's probably the, the, the big favorite number four right now at the Marlins. But you can make a case for J.J. Blade as, as kind of um, – you know, a happy medium between Vaughn and Abrams. I mean, you've got college track record. He can really hit for average in power. He's leading the NCAA home runs. He's, you know, probably not as quite as good a hitter as Vaughn, but he can play right field, so it gives you more defensive value. Um, and, you know, he's not, you know, an up-the-middle speedster like Abrams is, but, you know, he's he's not a first-base-only guy either. So you, you could, I mean, I think he could certainly be in that discussion. I know you just said you expect Rushman to go one, but... Is there even a, a, a possibility that the Orioles, who are not saying anything about what their plans are, might shake things up and go with a different player at number one? Oh, yeah, I, I think there is. I mean, you know, there's whispers that, oh, Rutschman's got something going on with his shoulder, although he's throwing well. And, and I would submit that even if he couldn't catch, which, I mean, you don't need a strong arm to catch. What you look for to catch is change. But even if you thought he couldn't catch, I just got to tell me, well, you know, maybe he wants to be Mark Teixeira. You know, and you'd still take that number one. Um, yeah, I think there's a chance. Um, I don't think it's locked in by any means. Um, I do kind of feel like it'd be interesting. Like, if, they, if the Royals took somebody besides Rutschman and Witt, I think the Royals, the Royals at two might take Witt over Rutschman because they love Witt. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I don't think it's a, it's a lock by any means. So, you know, the, we, we probably aren't going to know until, you know, shortly before the draft, which begins at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central on Monday, who's, who's going number one. Because when Michael Elias is the GM of the Orioles with the Astros, they waited until, you know, late in the process to talk money with guys so, so that agents couldn't shop their offers to other clubs and, and find out, like, hey, what could they get if they fell a little bit. So I think it'll be more of the same, and it'll probably be, really Monday before they engage Rutschman and whoever else in those kinds of serious discussions. This does seem very volatile for the top few picks. Have past drafts in the last few years been like this as well? This, For some reason, this year seems a little more uh, unpredictable. Would you agree? Mm, nah, not really. I mean, 
I think last year, what was different is Casey Mize was clearly the best prospect, and he's already pitching great double-A. And you had a team, the way the Tigers are kind of old school, and the way it works a lot of times is once a team at one knows who they're going to pick, they tell the team at two as a courtesy and so on. So you get a little bit of that going on. You know, this isn't the NFL where you could trade up and down. You have to worry about guys taking your guys. And the Tigers are old school. But in 2017, I mean, honestly, like minutes before the draft, the Twins were talking money with Brendan McKay, and they're talking money with Royce Lewis. Um, and I still think if Brendan McKay would have taken the money that Royce Lewis got, which is, I think, $6.75 million at number one, Brendan McKay would have been number one pick. But he got over $7 million from the Rays as number four pick. But, yeah, no, I mean, 2017, we were sitting there, you know, 15 minutes before the draft. I, I, I think it might have been five minutes before the draft. We weren't sure exactly who was going number one. So, no, I, I don't think it's too much to it, it really comes down to if you get a team at one that, you know, going to play close to the vest and not let anybody know and engage the players late in the process, this is what happens. And, and that's what we have this year. So, say Rutschman goes one, Witt goes two. Jim Callis, I'm going to put you in the White Sox war room. Who are you taking three? Who's the best player for this team, not just for the present, but for the future? Yeah, so I'm making the pick. The White Sox have tasked me with making this pick. I'm not trying to guess who they're going to pick. I will take, I'll take Andrew Vaughn. I, I just think he's the third best player in the draft. I, I'd love a crack at Rutschman or Witt, but I, I just think that bat is really, really good. And, you know, you can nitpick, you know, he's five foot eleven and right-handed and first base only, but okay. That's fine. If he hits 300 and, and 30 home runs a year, I, I don't care if he's not going to win a beauty pageant or can't play another position. I'll take Andrew Vaughn at three. And if, like, J.J. Bleday might be my next choice. I, I, I might go J.J. Bleday over, over C.J. Abrams, too, if I thought about it. But I would take Andrew Vaughn at three. All right. Andrew Vaughn, his numbers just jump off the page. And it, it, it reminds me a little bit of Seth Beer. This, he's just a hitter. He's going to well, hit. No, no, here's the <laughs> One, Seth Beers, uh, Andrew Vaughn is limited athletically because of his size and speed. Seth Beer is a terrible athlete. Um, Andrew Vaughn's a, a better athlete. Like, Seth Beer's a DH. Andrew Vaughn might have a shot to play third, but he could definitely play first. And two, uh, like uh, you could tell Chuck, you, you, you offended my sensibilities here. Andrew Vaughn is hit with wood bats. Seth Beer never hit with wood bats. Now, Seth Beer's off to a good start of the minors, but that was a big problem with Seth Beer last year was fears of Team USA. He, he looked pretty feeble with wood bats. And you go back to high school, and he didn't hit with wood bats on the showcase circuit. I mean, he tried to hit with wood bats. He just didn't have success. So I I, uh, I did not mean to react violently, but I, I, I hate that parallel. I, I don't think that works. <laughs> Andrew Vaughn is considered a much better player than Seth Beer. Okay, I, I'm not saying – I agree with you. I, what I was trying to get to, I was trying to make a uh, a transition because Seth Beer was a guy who just had this you know amazing – college career and i did notice that in double a this year he's slashing he's just he's been up there for 13 games he's slashing 333 458 521 as as jim uh, is still coughing (laughs) um so i'm just i'm just saying that you know he's uh he was a guy who was uh considered a great hitter but he fell in the draft but andrew vaughn maybe i shouldn't have made the connection but i didn't mean to jump on you chuck i see what you're saying so if you're if you're getting at that that Seth Beers has already started to advance quickly. Yes, Andrew Vaughn is the type of guy. You know, and again, I mean, you have service time considerations and all that. Uh, you, you know, I mean, maybe if you play Andrew Vaughn at third base, uh, you know, it could take some time to work on the defense. But if you just said, okay, you look, Andrew Vaughn's a first baseman. 
he could be up in the big leagues by, you know, I don't know, the end of next year, beginning of 2021. And that times out really well, potentially, with the White Sox. I just can't imagine the conversations they're having there because that you get you get the potential of having him. And then there's Abrams, who, as you said, could be a shortstop, could be a center fielder. And they're, not, they're just taking best player available. You can't say, well, what about Tim Anderson? What about Luis Robert? They're just looking best player available. You know, how far away would a guy like Abrams be from being a part of the major league team and contributing? What do you think? Um, I'd say three or four years, to be honest. Um, I, I don't, I mean, he's going to need some time to develop. He's got a good bat. You know, his kind of comparison is, is, is like a stronger version of D. Gordon. Um, but, I mean, I think CJ's probably going to need, you know, like, you know, he, well, I'm trying to do the math here in my head. So he comes out in 19, 20, 20, Like, I, I think you'd probably be looking at him, you know, earliest, late 2022, realistically, some point in, in 2023. And there is some sense to that because you want this window for the White Sox to be as large as possible. You get a young guy in your system, a really young guy, you can potentially extend this even further, agree? Yeah, although I, I would say I, I think that, yes, you know, maybe that's like a, in the back of your mind a little bit, but I, I think you basically have to make the number three pick based purely on talent. Like, like if, if you think Andrew Vaughn's better, even if you think C.J. Abrams might be you know, better for your window, you, you, still, you still have to take Andrew Vaughn. And you had a great comp for Abrams because when I see him, I'm looking at D. Gordon, not the fact that he will have any kind of career better or worse than D. Gordon. He just looks like him at the plate, right? Yeah, and he's, he's super fast. Um, you know, I mean, D. Gordon wasn't going to play shortstop, really. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, I've gotten that comp from a couple of scouts. It's really interesting. I, I just I, I could see in the draft room for the White Sox, you got like six people in there who you know there's, there's Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, uh, Nick Hosteller, Jerry Reinsdorf, everyone up and down. And how does everyone? Everyone's got their own different opinions, and you know it's it's like splitting hairs between some of these guys, right? This is going to be a tough call for them, right? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, but you'd rather have that. I mean, like like but by comparison, if they were picking seventh this year. I think you'd be sitting there hoping that, that the six hitters we all think are going one through six, that one of them would get to seven, because I don't think there's an obvious guy to pick at seven. But at least at three, you, you've got a number of options. And, you know, I think there's, like I said, even a slim chance that maybe Adley Rutschman gets down to three, which would be tremendous. Oh, that would shake things up big time. All right, I want to move on to the farm system right now for the White Sox. And the guy who really stands out for me, I know there's Dylan Cease. It seems like he's, you know, very close to the majors, but... The more interesting player is Luis Robert, who is slashing 306, 358, 531 in 25 games so far in Double A. Where is he ranked wise in your mind as an outfielder currently in Double A? You, you, in terms of all of baseball, or in terms of outfielders? Yeah, in terms of outfielders, like his talent level. Where does his ta- talent level lie in Double A right now? Um. I mean, you have Alex Karloff with the Twins, who missed a little bit of the time of the year. You'd have uh, Joe Adele, the Angels, will probably be there pretty soon. He missed some time at the beginning of the year for getting hurt in spring training. Uh, you got Christian Pache with the Braves, and then you got Luis. You know, I mean, I think, though, you know, maybe Taylor Trammell too, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I think you can make a case that Roberts is, you know, has a chance to be as good as any of those guys. I mean, he. 
Kirilov's more of a pure hitter than those other guys, and the other guys are more kind of your, your all-around athletes. But, I mean, we're, we're finally seeing here, and when we saw glimpses of it in the Arizona Fall League last year, what the White Sox hoped they were getting when they, when they spent $26 million in bonus money and, and $26 million in tax penalties to sign Luis Robert in, in May 2017. I mean, he was banged up. You know, a little bit the first year they had him in the Dominican Summer League, and then he missed a lot of time last year. I don't know if I remember correctly, I don't think he hit a home run last year. Um, but now we're seeing the power speed dynamo that, that they thought they were getting. I mean, he's, he's been very, very good this year, and he's, he's still only 21. I could see him being up here in September. What do you think? Well, I mean, we, again, I mean, <laughs> we got to play the service time consideration. Oh, that again. It makes no sense. I mean, yes, I mean, on talent, yeah, and, and create excitement, yes. But the way the rules work... And I don't blame the White Sox because, I mean, you're not going to win this year. So why why let him accrue service time that gets him closer to free agency and it gets him closer to, uh, to arbitration? I mean, I, I don't see any scenario where you would call him up before you delay his free agency next year. It, 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 it's a shame. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, unless you did what they did with Eloy and you signed him to a long-term deal, you know, before he gets there and then it becomes moot. But otherwise, like, as ta- yeah, yes, Luis is that talented. If he continues to do what he's done, you could see him, you know, pushing for that on merit. But I, I just think the way the rules work, it-, it just doesn't make any sense to do that, unfortunately. Yeah, they got to change this. It's so funny because I seem to always forget about the business side of things. And I shouldn't forget about it, but I'd like, I just wanted, I th- come to the perspective as a fan and thinking if he's ready, he should be up here. But there is more to it than just, oh, he's ready, let's yeah, bring yeah, him I mean, up. And, and look at what they did with Eloy last year. I mean, Eloy was clearly ready to come up at the end of the year, and they chose not to. Um, and I don't think he'll. I don't. I don't think Luis Robert will be more ready than Eloy Jimenez was last year. Um, you know, and I even thought they dragged their heels on Copic a little bit. But yeah, no, it, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I get credit for the Potters because they didn't. I I hate to say his name on a White Sox podcast, but the Potters didn't do that with Fernando Tatis Jr. or Chris Paddock this year, um, and they kind of reaped the benefits of it. But it, it it it's again, I don't even blame the teams because again, unless you're contending. It makes no sense to let you know if you, if you if you can hold off on Luis Robert three weeks into next year, then you, you you keep him for seven years instead of six before he becomes a free agent. And the White Sox aren't a contender, so yeah, have to do it. I mean, it's the same thing with Dylan Cease. Like I, I don't know if he'll be on the Copec plan, and we'll see him late in the year. But I mean, you could also argue it makes a lot of sense to just wait till sometime early next year and and, and delay him a year, yeah. um, which is just unfortunate. Because if I'm a White Sox fan, I want to see these guys. Yeah, I think Cease is coming up. Uh, early July seems like the right time for me. I don't think they're going to go the service time route with him like they uh, they did with uh, Aloy Jimenez. Uh, let's talk about Nick Madrigal, who um, you said was the best college bat going into the draft last year, correct? Yeah, I thought he was the best pure hitter in the draft, college or high school. Not, not power-wise, but just in terms of hitting for average, I thought he was the best guy. And so you look into this season, he's in high A, and I was thinking, you know, he's going to just be hitting for a high average right from the get-go in high A. Hasn't happened, but what I've noticed is he's turned it around a little bit, and this is what I love about Nick Madrigal. Last 10 games, he's got 13 hits, 8 stolen bases, 6 walks, 1 strikeout, 1 home run. He's batting 317. Like, that's a very unique kind of line right there for any player, and that's kind of like a Madrigal kind of... Uh, stat. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think we talked about him last year. And I said, like, he was tough for me because 
like I, I still don't know what to do with him exactly because I thought he was <laughs> excuse me the the best pure hitter in the draft. I thought he was the best player in college baseball. He missed some time with a wrist injury last year, but I mean he was best player in college baseball the last two years, and and they won one national title and finished third the other. Um, and if they'd won his sophomore year, they would have had like I think about the highest winning percentage of all time. Like it was an unbelievable team. He's an unbelievable player, but his profile is so unique. I mean he's he's five foot seven. And like I'll have people like last year when I was talking about this leading up to draft, like oh well, Tuve Pedroia, he doesn't have anywhere close to that kind of power. He, he's not going to hit 30 home runs in a year. He's not going to hit 25 home runs in a year. But like, it's this extreme profile where I mean, he's only got six strikeouts this year in 45 games. He barely struck out last year. He's going to hit for average. He's going to put the bat on the ball. He can really run. I think he's going to be a, a a really good defensive player at second base. I just don't know how much power he's going to have, and I'm still struggling. Like, even this year, you know, 45 games, he's got 14 extra base hits, 10 of them are doubles. He's slugging 391, and so, and he, and he doesn't walk a ton because you don't necessarily, you know, like, you're not worried if you're behind the count 3-1. Yeah, you're behind the count 3-1 to Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert. Like, you're, you're, you're careful. You're not just putting the ball over the plate. Well, well you know, Nick Madrigal's not going to jack it out of the park. So he gets pitch a little differently. So, like, I just, I'm still trying to figure it out. And he's early in his career, so I'm not writing him off, and I'm not down on him. But is he going to be more than a guy who hits for high average, but that batting average is the bulk of his offensive value? And I just don't know that yet. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's got to be one of the best contact hitters in the minors. His strikeout rate's under 4%. Um, you know, high class A's, first full year in pro ball. I, I just don't know. Like, you know, I mean, look, there's more to projection than, than just looking at his stats this year. But, like, if, if we were to multiply, he's, he's played about a third of a major league season equivalent right now. He's on pace to hit, you know, for six homers and 48 walks. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know if that's, you know, like, like maybe, you know, he's, he, I, I still am figuring him out, Chuck. Like, like he's, <laughs> I think his floor is huge. I, I'm trying to figure out exactly where that ceiling is. I, you know, is he going to make some adjustments and maybe drive the ball more and sacrifice a little average? I don't know. But, like, he, man, he can put the bat on the ball so easily. Because I haven't able to, been able to watch him on a day-to-day basis, I've only watched you know a handful of highlights. You know, I don't really get the full effect of what Nick Madrigal brings to a game and to a team. My guess is that he is someone who the stats are about you know seventy percent of who he is, and then that other thirty percent is this is these intangibles that he brings to the game. A lot of it has to do with his intelligence, his defense, and just his knowledge of what's going on on the field at that very moment in time and what needs to be done. And if he can do it, he then excels. I just, from what people say about him, I think that is where he's really going to make a difference more so than, I mean, the stats will be one thing, but I think what he brings to a game and to a team uh, really is going to outweigh just the stats. That's kind of how I feel about him. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that's very fair. Um, and I agree with all that. At the same time, if he, you know, if he's giving you a 700 ops with a 330 on base percentage and a 370 slugging percentage, the intangibles can only take you so far. So, and, and again, I, I nobody, anybody listening to this, I'm not, I'm not bagging on him. I'm not down on him. I just that was the question going into last year's. Like, what's the profile here? Yeah. You know, if it's extreme batting average but not a lot of walks or power. How good is he really going to become? And I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm sure a lot of people are wondering that. Uh, They do love his defense. uh, Someone with the White Sox said it's been gold glove caliber 
right from the get-go. And I've seen his athletic ability is, is great, for, certainly for his size. But uh, I'm, as you are, very curious to see what Nick Madrigal turns into uh, in the major leagues. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, any final thoughts on the draft and what might shake down on Monday? No, I mean, you know, just that, like I said, I mean, no, I projected Andrew Vaughn because you have to project player with each pick. It, it's by no means a lock. I mean, I do think it, I, I, it's fairly confident that it will be Vaughn or C.J. Abrams, you know, unless Rutschman falls or maybe J.J. Bleday sneaks in. But I, I, I don't think by any means that they have a decision, and I, and I think it's going to be a pretty close call for him in the end. All right. Looking forward to Monday. You're going to be a little busy in the next uh, few days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, huh? Yeah, I'll be part of the... I don't know how many hours we're on the air on Monday at MLB Network, but but it's a lot. And then day two, Jonathan Mayo and I, along with Scott Braun, uh, being traffic cop, Jonathan and I have to break down every player taking around three through ten, pick a minute nonstop for, I don't know, it's about four or five hours. That's kind of the, the really challenging one. And then day three, we can catch our breath a little bit. Yeah, it's amazing. We just spent all this time just talking about the top three picks, you know, for the White Sox potentially to get. I'm going to say top three picks. I mean, top three picks in the draft and who the Sox might get. And then meanwhile, you've got, what is it, 40 more rounds? 40 rounds altogether? How many rounds is the whole draft? 40 rounds altogether. I mean, our focus, we have to kind of know the top 10, not that you can pinpoint exactly who's, you know, going to go. But, like, we we try to focus on guys who are going in the top 10 rounds for the most part. So that, you know, that'll be 300-something picks. I mean, there's probably 400 at least players who could go in the top 10 rounds. So we, we, we try to stay on top of all of it. And you'll be sleeping on Thursday. Exactly. All right. Jim Callis from MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, MLB Network. Watch his stuff, read his stuff. He is uh, phenomenal. And thanks again for coming on the podcast. White Sox Talk podcast brought to you by Wintrust Community Bank, your home for White Sox checking free ATMs nationwide. Go to the special White Sox webpage. It's www.wintrust.com slash Sox. Hawk Harrelson. Take it away. Thanks, our Chuck. And this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast is over. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.